Hello and welcome to episode 19 of A Wee Bit of Everything with your hosts, Lewis Cleland and Clark Burrow. This week, we're absolutely delighted to welcome a very special guest onto the show yet again. This week on the podcast, we're delighted to welcome Cameron Stewart, who is a PE teacher in the primary school setting. Cameron is also a member of the SAT PE primary group and has been involved in positive developments of resources for primary teachers and beyond. Cameron is a teaching games for understanding and sport education enthusiast, and today he will share his insights into how he uses the models to teach PE. We are both really looking forward to this one, therefore, I think it's about time we get Cameron onto the show. Right, how you doing Cameron? Thanks a lot for joining us today. I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for inviting me, guys. Looking forward to it. No bother. Um, really look forward to listening in and your experience using the different models for teaching PE, like sport education model and um, teaching games for understanding. So we'll dive right into it then, Cameron. Um, can you tell us a wee bit about yourself and your teaching career to date? Yeah, uh, a bit about myself. I absolutely love sports, um, golf strength training even though you wouldn't know it looking at me uh i enjoy tennis oh, I'm a bit of a... <laughs> you're too kind a bit of a jack of all trades probably master of none myself i don't think you know personally i've ever played a sport to a very high level but just kind of enjoyed you know all the benefits of sport you know and what they bring i think recovery as well quite interesting quite big into like nutrition and, you know, trying to get the best out of your body, trying to get yourself ready, you know, to get the best out of every day, like healthy habits, etc. So really kind of looking into the health and well-being side. Um, personally, I graduated from Edinburgh University a long time ago now. Probation year at Balfron, and it was just brilliant. Worked with uh, Neil McQuarrie, who's still the PT there. The team, when I was there, which I'm sure it still is, was just fantastic. It was just such a positive environment to be in. They were just... So, you know, just just so enthusiastic and just keen to better their, their pupils. And it really rubbed off on me. So it was a really good start in my kind of teaching career. Then I had three years at Burr Park Primary, which is a special needs school, um, where I kind of honed some quite unique skills in terms of behavior management and the importance of exercise for children. Like these kids in the kind of the area I was teaching probably didn't really have much. And PE meant a lot to them. You know, it was their escape. It was something that they could, like, bind to and, and practice and enjoy. So I really got across the importance of, you know, how much PE can mean to children in their in their lives and moving forward. Uh, and since then, I've been at Carroll Side, which has just been great. You know, I've had kind of, it's kind of been a one-man show. I've kind of been able to try different things, etc. cetera. Uh, and it's just been, you know, haven't worked a day in my life. So I'm quite lucky to say that. <laughs> no, I totally agree with you with the importance of exercising for myself. Um, you know, my own productivity, I feel as if exercise helps me. Uh, never mind, yeah. you know, the kids and the kind of bonding I've got with. Just movement yeah. in general makes me feel a lot happier and healthier. I think the importance um, of it's been shown during this time as well. Yeah, like it's been really yeah. brought to the fore. So. Definitely. Like even, even during lockdown, I feel as though I've had periods where I've kind of gone away from exercise and my productivity and just general enjoyment of the day has just vanished. Like literally, yeah. I would even say 
maybe a couple of weeks. So I, I didn't, once lockdown had started, I didn't think it was going to affect me personally too much. But it really, it just started to grind a little. And the last couple of weeks, you know, I just wasn't, at, my routine had just fallen to bits. And, you know, I've kind of gone back to my kind of my good habits in the last week or two. And the difference is, is night and day. And obviously exercise is a key component of that. So, yeah, I totally agree with what you guys are saying. So what was your first spark into going down the teaching route? Just love of the subject, I think. I think when I was at Fort Rose, which is where I was at for secondary, I did a bit of work experience in the PE base. And I just knew straight away that it was something that I obviously I really enjoyed, but just wanted to kind of follow and pursue. I think naturally my with my personality, I got on quite well with, with kids. I liked helping other people as well. So my enjoyment of sport and you know, my ability to kind of communicate well with the younger generation, I guess, kind of, kind of put me down the route of, of wanting to teach. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think that, it's important you know, to have that. Oh, sorry, on you go. No, no, on you go. I think it's important to have that um, personality as a PE teacher, isn't it? To be able to inspire the kids and engage them. So. You have to be a, have a certain bit about you, I think. Yeah, I think that makes the job. Yeah, like that's what's sold it for me was like the two coming together and and if you enjoy inspiring others and you enjoy being around you know kids etc then you you really won't work a day in your life that's a great thing so I think when I went did the work experience I knew that's kind of what I wanted to do and it was definitely the right path anyway. And then what about the the primary side of things it's now full-time in a a primary school teaching PE Uh what what was the how did that come about and um, how's that going? Uh, That was so I guess kind of lucky to draw, I actually, I, like I'd done a lot of work experience, et cetera, in kind of primary environments, and I always kind of enjoyed it. And then obviously when jobs came up, when I was applying, there just, there wasn't particularly too much. A lot of the jobs are really highly competitive. Um, and the, the primary position at Fur Park came up. And I don't know whether it was because of special needs, but it wasn't as competitive. So I, I went there, you know, and I had the successful interview. And that's kind of how I got started in the pre, the, the kind of primary environment. And since I've been there, I've just really enjoyed it. Moving to Carroll's side as well, just, you know, allowed me to hone a lot more skills. And I guess the fact that there's no examinations, etc., there's just a bit more leeway. And I can just really focus on what PE is about, which is like, you know, the love of movement. You know, I'm allowed to try different things, etc. So I'd say... I, I think my personality has always actually been better suited for primary. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. But, um, I think the kind of the door was just there to kind of walk through. Luckily, when I was applying for jobs, and since I've been there, it's I've never really looked back. Yeah, I think the good thing about teaching in the, the primaries, when I worked in Crosshouse in East Kilbride for a year, and I think you can really evaluate your practice where you can you can experiment with different strategies and then evaluate it straight away. Um, yeah. Because you know you need to be right on point. With, you don't you don't get any a couple of minutes away if you're teaching. You need to be totally focused on it with the primary yeah. the primary school children. I felt so I was able to experiment with different strategies across P1 all the way through to P7. Not that you yeah. can't do that in secondary, but what I think I mean is is the some of the secondary school pupils can take more ownership and responsibility for the learning. So you can yeah. take almost like a step back and um, facilitate it more. But within primary, you need to be totally on it. Uh, I think I think also in pretty secondary school as well. Like in my situation, like I, I share a lot of classes with other teachers as well. So 
in that sense, you're sometimes limited to what you it needs to be kind of coherent and to, for, for the benefit of the kids. Mm-hmm. But, no, you need to follow a set plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And obviously in secondary as well, you're working towards examinations, as Cameron said. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have that pressure in primary. Um, it's just about preparing them for secondary school. Yeah. So, Cameron, what's your role within the SAP primary group then, and how has this impacted your teaching? Yeah, I, I just I think I just give as much advice and help as I can regarding primary PE resources. Uh, obviously, I'd probably say my kind of specialty would be like kind of games based, you know, teaching games understanding, sport education, etc. But it's it's Chris Crookston. He, he was the guy that kind of set up the primary PE group, and he has just completed a huge power of work. I kind of just kind of fall under him and try and give him as much advice as I can. That guy has got a huge wealth of knowledge and he's he's really brought together like a really good group of individuals. You've got Andy, who is just a, a movement guru, man. That guy's knowledge is just through the roof. Uh, Johnny Penman as well, who's just great with his problem-solving kind of curriculum. And, and Chris Crookston and Fiona as well, who do quite a bit on BMT. But obviously Chris Crookston's knowledge on football and a games-based approach as well is, is really deep. So yeah. I would say, personally, I just try to give as much advice as I can on maybe things that I've tried. Mm-hmm. And like the impact on my teaching has just been huge. Even, even, to, even to the point of just being in a room with other people who are passionate about what you do. I think in a primary kind of, in my primary PE job, because I'm on my own, it can be quite difficult to keep myself motivated. Whereas when I meet with these individuals, even just bouncing ideas off each other motivates me to become a better teacher. And then I've got the ability to pick Andy's brains on bilateral, you know, integration or better movers and thinkers. And he gives me resources and, and Johnny's constantly just churning out great ideas throughout lockdown. His Twitter has just been full of great videos. And then Chris, Chris has got knowledge on absolutely anything along with Fiona. I can just use any ideas that they have and put them straight into my practice. So, yeah. Keeps it fresh, doesn't it? Just having that kind of that surrounding yeah. that net, network of people. It keeps it's your teaching, so it keeps it more enjoyable as well, doesn't it? Having the ability just to ask the questions it's, and... Yeah, it's so important. Like, I, th- I would genuinely think, and that's probably the one big thing I missed from being in a secondary school was was the department, you know, having other people there to motivate you who all shared like a common goal and a passion. Having the SAP PE groups has given me that, which has just kept me motivated, you know, yeah. people to fall back on, people to talk to. It's It's been a real big rock, I guess. So very Brilliant. fortunate for it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's I a great it's, setup that's, that they've got going with the SAP. It's grew so Definitely. much, is Yeah. And yeah. then in lockdown as well, it's been good to have the Teams pages up and running and sharing practice on there. I think yeah. that's been one positive for lockdown. I don't know if you're on it, Kevin, but they've got the Microsoft Teams pages for SAP. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, that's that's been great yeah. as well. Uh, it's so important, isn't it, to have a, a good department where everyone's enthusiastic and inspiring each other and pushing each other on. I missed that in the yes. primary setting. That's it. Just to keep raising standards, you know, as you say, if you've got a department where you're kind of all passionate about, you know, achieving the same goal, you just keep bouncing ideas and you just keep pushing the pushing the standard higher and higher. There's like no chance for a plateau. It's just constant progressions, constant steps yeah. forward. It's, it's, it's only a good thing, I guess. Yeah. 
Right, so moving on from your role within SAP, could you tell us about, about like, your kind of main role within the primary school that you work in at the moment? Yep, uh, so full-time primary PE specialist at Carroll Side. So I teach every class in the school once every two weeks for a double block. Um, I would say I'm basically responsible for anything, you know, physical education related. The classroom teachers will deliver PE as well. And I, I try my best to obviously, you know, help them with their practice. But I'd say most things PE, you know, extracurricular, you know, some things health and well-being as well kind of fall under my kind of, you know, um, under my, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Remit. That's the one. There you go. Remit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I take all the kids. Um, I, I would say that in terms of like primary, I find it. I find it really rewarding straight off. I think the pupils are always really motivated and eager to learn. Like I never really have any issues with things like participation rates or, or, or bits and bobs like that. I think from P1 to P7, you know, they are, they are ready to go and they thoroughly enjoy their PE, which is a really good thing for me. It makes my job a lot easier, which is great. Personally, I, I like to think that I can genuinely give them like a positive experience of PE before they move forwards i think like the longer that i've worked in pe in primary pe specifically i think the importance of giving them a good start in pe is is really you know come to the forefront i think if i don't know i might just be plucking things out of the air a little bit here but i'd say by the time if they get to p6 and p7 and these kids maybe haven't had a positive experience in pe it can sometimes you know, the, the task of turning that is a real uphill battle. You know, these, every year these kids that I teach seem to be getting older and older, like the P6s and 7s seem to be more matured and, you know, socially aware, etc. So I think it's dead important that from day one and P1, these kids are, no matter what activity we're covering, that they're getting a positive experience. And I'd like to think that I can put them all on the right path. So when they leave P7, they're you know they're they're skilled and they've got an enjoyment of sport and they can then move on in secondary school and hone their skills and mm -hmm. and you know have a physically active life that's that's kind of the dream but i see <coughs> the big one sorry uh, but i think that i think that for us to achieve that as a profession we need to have more teachers like yourself in the primaries or, or well, if not that then more secondary teachers going down to the primaries every primary every primary should have contact with a PE teacher at least once a week and that's, I believe. that's such a good point and it's such a big debate because, you, know, you know, no doubt we'll probably talk about this in a little bit and I, I don't want to bang on about it too much, but that's something which I kind of always thought for, for years on end, especially, you know, you know, the more I've taught in the primary sector, that, you know, there's like, there's two routes. You can either, like for me, I don't want to de-skill the classroom teacher. I think the primary classroom teacher is one of the most skilled educators I've ever come across. You know, their ability to differentiate and, and cover a wide range of subjects is second to none. And I, I understand having, you know, done a little bit of research and, and talking to some of these teachers that, you know, they're, they're not, some are not getting a huge amount of PE experience before they come to their full-time jobs. And there's quite a lot of barriers up there. So there's, there's two roads. There's either that, yeah, let's get a specialist in to help push the PE forward or how do we upskill the classroom teachers so they're a lot more confident in regards to their delivery of PE. But I definitely say something kind of needs to be looked at or something needs to be done. It's, it's a bit of a, I don't know, it's a bit of a tricky one personally. Do you, but do you have a, do, oh, sorry, on you, on you go. No, sorry. 
Do you ever have to, like, or offer like kind of CPD sessions? I know when I was at my probation year, towards the end of my probation year, when I didn't have a timetable, when it went from the ch- to the change of timetable, I just kind of went out to the feeder primary schools to deliver some PE and yeah. gave like ran a, a twilight session on gymnastics because it was an activity yeah. that the primary teachers were particularly concerned about teaching, just yeah. purely because of the safety elements of it. Do you? Yeah, yeah. Is that part of your job as well? Do you have to give some CPD or do you do that sometimes? Yeah, I, I think I, I wouldn't say it's part of my like remit. Um, but I would definitely say it's, it's something I do just because of the love of the subject. Uh, I, I find CPD a bit of a funny one. Like, I, I, I will always run it. You know, I, I try to run three or four CPDs a year. I, I do a lot of one-to-one help with classroom teachers as well who are quite keen to improve their, their standard of primary PE. So I'll actually try and maybe go and team teach with them during my CCRT, things like that. The CCRT... I get the point of it, but I sometimes just see it as a bit of a band-aid. You know, it's like you get an hour, an hour and a half. Sometimes, don't get me wrong, there's probably teachers who go and really appreciate it and they leave and they kind of maybe the light's been, you know, the candle's been lit a little bit and it's a bit of a spark, which is great. But I just, I don't feel as though sometimes I'm, I'm making that difference. Whereas if I'm team teaching with a teacher, that's where I feel as though I can make a huge difference. Like, on Friday afternoons is when I get my CCRT and I've been doing a bit of team teaching with teachers in the local authority. And that's where the difference is made because either I'll take a little bit of the lesson and they can see that, you know, what I'm doing is not particularly rocket science and it's, you know, it's, it's just about building confidence. And then they can take a little bit and I can give some pointers and we can share resources and we can actually see it in a practical manner with the kids that she, you know, she mm-hmm. or he is, is dealing with. That makes a huge difference. That's like, mm-hmm. that's a good you know, point. That, I even because, find that myself, so trying to learn, sorry Clark, when I've been trying to perhaps learn the higher course or something, see going in and actually team teaching it with a more experienced teacher than myself, yeah. rather than just sitting observing a lesson, Yeah. or watching a CPD, or I just think actually learning by doing it, it's just it's night and day. Oh, that's, how, that's, how I, that's how I always learned, you know, doing, seeing, etc. Like, don't get me wrong, CPD sessions, I thoroughly enjoy doing. I would just say I probably make a bigger difference, kind of with the kind of the team te- team uh, the team teaching. The only problem is that's quite a limited audience. That's you know one to one or maybe one to three or one to four. Whereas the CPD you can cover 25, 30 people. Mm-hmm. It's just that I'd probably say, as you said, in these team teaching sessions, you can see what's going on. The, the teacher can ask me questions as the lesson progresses. You know, what would you do here if so and so did this and whatnot, which I think makes it more real so yeah. i think it's a good i think it's a really good point like it might be something we should look at is more cooperation and more collaboration within departments and in the primary setting as well i mean logistically would it be possible for a teacher to come in and team teach and observe so you could be doing it in threes yeah. because then yeah. then i actually seen it in action as you say and how many times you go to a twilight write write notes and then you don't really implement it you just go like yeah. you know what I mean because you have to go yeah. or you've been told yeah. to go so yeah. you're wanting yeah. true, true, true lasting change it needs to be and but you need to always have a welcoming open your door to your class um, and be willing to admit you have maybe mistakes that you're making someone's yeah. going to point them out yeah I don't, I don't know if teachers are ready to take take <clears> that um, yeah and run with it but who knows yeah something yeah. to look at anyway yeah no definitely I, I'd probably just say what's my other point 
with primary PE, as I think yourself mentioned earlier, just the flexibility to do and try anything is just phenomenal. Like, you know, I could try a model and if I have a lot of success, great. If not, then it doesn't matter. We just try something else. And because I've got so much flexibility, I can generally go through lots of different models with the kids and find out something that works for them. So it benefits all of us. Mm-hmm. And I, and you could, you could definitely have that in secondary as well. Don't get me wrong. I just feel as though in primary, because I'm the PE specialist, I'm probably just left to it, left to it a little bit more. So I can just try, tailor, tinker with things, you know, play mm-hmm. with things all the time. And it's, it's quite empowering, you know, it's quite empowering as a teacher, but the most important thing is the benefits of kids. So, um, yeah, 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 exactly. But so definitely, sorry, sorry, anyway. No, you you know, finished. Sorry, I was just going to move on there. Sorry. Uh, I like, I like to talk. You might find this out. Um, I probably just say like final kind of thoughts, teaching primary, so many positive things, but maybe as we've kind of mentioned earlier, just, Kind of P's position in a primary setting can be quite inconsistent, I would say. Yeah, I've been to some primary schools where the PE is delivered like oh, so well, like so strong, and you know the kids are getting a great experience. And but then, you know, in my personal findings, I've also seen and you know, and found that it can it can kind of sometimes just kind of fall away a little bit, which is a shame because I am, you know, personally, I think P is so important and obviously that kids get a really good experience of it. So that can a little be a little bit frustrating and trying to take these barriers down and trying to help others and deliver consistent PE in a primary setting all the time can be a little bit frustrating as well, but it's just what you got to do. One of the challenges. Well, hopefully, hopefully this lockdown will emphasise those says the importance of it at the start of the podcast. You know, yeah. P might become me. P might be at the forefront now, and primary teachers might see more value in it, and then yeah. and the benefits it can have for, on, the, on the people's health and well-being. Yeah, definitely. I I, I just ah, uh, you know, you guys will be we'll all be singing singing from the same hymn sheet. I just if there's one subject which is delivering healthy habits that you're generally going to use for the rest of your life, it's in physical education. I just mm-hmm. man, you're talking about you know health and well-being. We're talking about you know, nutrition, sleeping well, uh, you know, mindfulness, growth mindset, exercise, physical education. Me as a 31-year-old man sitting here during lockdown, all these things. Sorry, the the signal went a wee bit there. It was like slow motion. (laughs) I I just thought it was me. (laughs) That's probably not a good thing. No, it's all right. (laughs) I'll, uh, I'll just say like that. I feel as though the, the things, yeah, the th- you know, the things that I learned, you know, mindfulness, exercise, sleep, nutrition, all these things that I learned in secondary school through health and well-being, they're the things that I use day in day out as an adult to achieve the best that I can. And like these are the things that have like helped sculpt, you know, sculpt my life moving forward. I feel as though all kids in Scotland should be getting this to the highest level. So I think you're right. I'm hoping that going through lockdown and going through this challenging time that we've all realized, again, the importance of movement and exercise and health and well-being and how, you know, all these kids should be getting this message delivered to them as well as it can. It's not only, like, from, like, a healthy body perspective, healthy mindset perspective. It also has, like, a a massive knock-on impact, like, in the full society, like in terms of 
diseases and all that because that then has a knock-on impact on the NHS, yeah. for example. And if everybody yeah. could just take some responsibility and really see the value in physical exercise, movement, yeah. and ultimately PE um, to get those good habits installed, then we would the the nation or like the country would thrive. Like that's, I think, oh, I yeah. think that's a good. That is the, the, that's the key. A good point, mate. But then yeah, but that's, your, that's your job as a profession. That's why we're at the shop fish. We need to put that message across every single day in our teaching. So you've made that's a good it. point. And that, that's our responsibility. That's yeah. why we're here. Um, right, moving on to the bit that everybody's been waiting for and the bit I'm looking forward to. <laughs> um, the teaching model that you use, that you've got a lot yeah. of experience in. I see on Twitter, your teaching games for understanding um, approach and your sport education approach. Can you maybe yeah. pick one or two if you feel um, yeah, yeah. you're up for it? And then just kind of talk us through the results you get and how you plan yeah. it and assess it and stuff like that. Yeah. So sport education, I'll start with sport education. That's just been a really good model with my primary pupils from day one. I think when I've always completed a block, I've always tried to get the, the kids' feedback from beginning to end. And the feedback has always been really really positive with all the people, the, the primary kids. I actually run the sport education model with my primary fives, sixes, and sevens. And the results are always increased motivation, you know, from teacher judgment, always better performance and, you know, improve repertoire of skills overall. So, you know, we're really ticking all the bases and the kids always really enjoy it. Um, the model itself is really flexible. Obviously, it's cross-curricular. So pupils are able to develop transferable skills and they're able to try out different roles. You know, I'm able to tap into literacy and mathematics as well, which allows me as actually as a teacher, when I sometimes sit in on the classroom on on the on the stage meetings, I'll actually sometimes give feedback on how the kids are doing in terms of mathematics within a PE setting or literacy within a PE setting, which helps give kind of more accurate grades and judgments. So that's a real benefit. That's a real benefit to actually getting the classroom teachers to buy into it because it can affect different areas of the curriculum. And that's always kind of, you know, a, a big thing. Um, personally, when I'm running the sport education model, the assessment side of things, the point scoring system is usually kind of focused on things like, you know, um, good, uh, good things like focus or respect and working well as a team. So I think the fact that you can choose the assessment or the points model allows you to change the focus of the class. I was finding when I first started, it was very performance driven. All the kids wanted to do was play the games, which is fine, but I kind of wanted it to be a bit more about the team. So when I changed the scoring system to kind of reflect that, the focus of the lesson turned to kind of like a more kind of team positive kind of ethos, which I thought made a really big difference. So the sport education model has a lot of flexibility. I'll probably talk about that a bit more in a minute. So were you, sorry, sorry, were you, um, giving them rewards based on maybe like shaking the opponent's hand or yeah, yeah. so it was based on kind of softer yeah. skills rather rather than the outcome of the game is that right so yeah yeah so for for during the games you, they would they would get points for a, a win loss and a draw it'd be like i don't know three points for a win two for a draw and one for a loss but then they'd also be getting points on top of that for as you said shaking hands listening to other people when they're talking um, you know, obviously organizing the equipment, putting the equipment away, being prompt, like timekeeping skills. Like when the game starts at, I don't know, five past ten, 
if you're there a minute before, you're going to get an extra point. If you're there a minute after, you know, you're, you're going to maybe get one point instead of two or, or whatnot. So, mm-hmm. but the great thing was I actually tailored all of that to like specific classes because I started with like the original model and it was great, but I had some classes that needed kind of more of a focus on like working well as a team. And then I had other classes that needed a bit more kind of focus on actually progressing their skills. Mm-hmm. And I had another class that maybe had like, you know, needed work on their responsibility. So I actually tailored like the, the, the kind of the scoring system I would use for one class in P7 wouldn't be the same as a class in P6. It, it, it wasn't I think that's a really good. I think that's a really good uh, strategy to use actually because you're then setting up a reward circuitry for all the kids based on yes. the respect and the life skills and the yeah. personal qualities that are so important and yeah. for society as well in the future. So I think that's a really yeah. good idea and how you, you tailor it based on the kids in front of you. Yeah, that's it. I was like, I think it was Andy that mentioned that, you know, that, you know, when your class comes in, you've got 30 different individuals. And I was kind of, I kind of guess I was trying to deliver one lesson, you know, one size fits all. And it just really wasn't kind of paying off. So I adapted it a little bit. And, you know, I kind of looked at, you know, I'd speak to the classroom teacher, I'd talk about, you know, his or her judgments and what they were maybe working on as a class. Was it focus? Was it you know, good manners, was it responsibility, was it leadership? And then I would try and focus the, the kind of the, the reward system based on that. So it was a continuation of what they were doing. And it just helped with motivation. And then obviously, you know, the, the authenticity of the sport education model is awesome. Having, you know, like this pre-season and then and into the games and then the festival at the end. The kids just love that. Like in the game stall, I've got, Three big banners. I've got like the Lakers. Uh, what have I got? I mean, it's been so long since I've been in the game. So New York Knicks oh. and the the Dolphins. And when they first come, I split them up into three teams, and they all take a flag, and they make their logos, and they have their team chant, um, and they they have like the, it gets to the point after a couple of weeks where, you know, I, I'm not even starting the lesson there's no start and end it's just a continuation of what the lesson was last week they've got like their own way to enter you know they just div- you know they split up into their roles it's once it gets going it's such a great thing like it literally that actually sounds it sounds, that, oh, sounds awesome. that good that it sounds that good that i wish i was back in primary in your mr stewart's class oh, <laughs> i don't know if it's all i agree but i, no, like, I, I, I love I love being a facilitator. I think you've got it if you're standing back and you've got a, a chance just to watch your kids kind of, you know, get on with their work and work hard and you can kind of take a step back. And mm. I think through the sport education model, you can really do that. But yeah, I, the one thing I, think, I would say is, it, sorry, on you go. No, I think Lewis really likes that um, approach as well. Um, facilitating the one Lewis learned at uni. You got good at that one, didn't you, Lewis? But you just didn't understand it and went for a coffee. I <laughs> <laughs> guess more than one coffee. <laughs> Sitting back into the coffee room. <laughs> it is good though. Like it's just so adaptable. It's you know, like don't get me wrong. You know, I read like the sport education book, and I was like, right, here's the set way that I should do it, and I tried it, and it was a complete disaster when I first did it because. What was it, man? I I, I trialed it with the P sevens when I first came to Carroll Side and. I think I had like, I had all these roles. Like I had like seven or eight roles per team. 
and I had like one coach and then all the primary kids were complaining because this coach was a complete dictator, you know, he was just telling them or he was just telling them what to do. And then I had all these different roles. I had like, you know, journalist, uh, media person, equipment. And I was like, I couldn't even keep track. I didn't know what the heck was going on half the time. So I was like, right. So I had to change things. So for coaches, I would have two coaches. I'd have a boy and a girl in each team, which kind of, it just changed the ethos, the kind of balance of the class straight away. I, I then simplified it. I just looked at equipment manager, trainer, um, uh, scorekeeper, obviously referees as well. I kind of stuck with maybe five or six roles just to keep things simple. I had two coaches, sorry, I had two coaches and two trainers, boy and a girl for each. And then I had the other roles and just tried to keep things a little bit simple. I had a bigger preseason as well, just to give the kids a bit more time to kind of practice with each other and kind of and try and improve their skills. And that all seemed to make quite a big difference. So I would definitely say if anyone's fancy trying the sport education model to like tinker with it a little bit. Don't just stick with, you know, what the book says. The books, you know, the books are great, but they're just a guideline. You know, you can mm-hmm. change things, you know, and discover yeah. something even better. Who knows? Well, I think it's a good point you've made with uh, the changes that you've made throughout your time using it. It sounds as if you've used it a lot and you've been able to reflect on it and change it. It sounds as if you've really yeah. refined it and it's really specific now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, teaching games for understanding, I just love it. I just love gameplay. I've always loved gameplay. Um, and it just works so well. A primary setting, I've had, yeah, again, a lot of success with the kids. Um so I started that with the, this, the, with the classic TGFU cycle. And when I was doing it, uh, the kids just weren't really getting a handle on tactics at all. You know, we'd be playing, you know, small-sided possession games and I'd be discussing tactics with them. And, uh, you know, you get one or two, you maybe get your, sta- you know, you get your one or two kids who've maybe played team games for a wee while who, would, who knew what was going on. But the majority of the class were, it, it just wasn't clicking. <laughs> So I kind of dug a bit deeper and I looked at the concepts, you know, where the, which the tactics are kind of derived from. So things like attacking and defending, real basics. And I was finding out that that's where the gaps and the knowledge were. So I changed the TGFU cycle just to be like playing the game. And we looked at the key concepts and we looked at the skills that we needed or required to deliver the key concepts. And then we played the game again. And I found that that made a massive difference to like the kids' knowledge, just building these foundational blocks of like attacking, defending, and like maintaining possession. They were like the three main ones that we look at, at with invasion games. So, uh, yeah, TJFU is again has had a huge impact. You know, the kids were saying that they're more knowledgeable. They seem far more comfortable playing team games. Again, skill rate. It was improved. You know, we were still practicing isolated skills, but for a reason. You know, we'd always play the game first, and then we maybe spend a little bit of time looking at isolated skills, and then we go back to the game again. But the kids were aware this time of why. You know, we're not just practicing a push pass for the sake of a push pass. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm practicing a push pass so I can look after the ball and our team can maintain possession, which means we're going to have more chance to score. There's like things getting linked up. And this is this is P threes, P twos, which are you know able to understand maintaining possession and put it across. Like you know, the TGFU model is something which I was running from P one. You know, five year olds all all the way up to 11, 12 year olds. The only thing that changed was like the the progressions within the game. I try and use the same game because I found in in primary 
number one, kids love playing games, so that was always going to be really successful. But if I used the same game, I was going to save a lot of time in terms of planning and organizing. And it meant the kids could get into the lesson a lot quicker, which meant I was getting a lot more effective time teaching with them. And all I would change was maybe like, you know, some of the rules in the game or the progressions, which kept challenging all the, you know, all the kids as they progressed through the stages. But the bare bones of the game were the same. So there's always this like ability to kind of like <clears throat> you know, have comfort, you know, a level of comfort and understanding. I but think you made a good point there with, um, sorry, the, any, any teachers listening um, would probably benefit from that. Like you can, you can use the same game, but you know, you can change the rules and the, the progressions. Because sometimes yeah. I think when I was, at, I was at uni, I would like try and always change it up all the time. I always try to change yeah. it. But as you yeah. said, you're getting more effective teaching and learning because they know what they're coming into, but you're just adding a, yeah. a different progression, a different condition. Probably it's a good way to yeah. do it. I was, like, I was exactly the same. Just chopping and, not so much chopping and changing, but just looking to try something different like almost every lesson. And I was just losing like the depth. This might be maybe, this is probably more so in primary, I guess, because I only saw the kids, you know, once every two weeks. And I was like, right, when I see them, I really need to make sure that, you know, I'm really using my time effectively. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, just just had a lot of success with it. But I genuinely think a lot of it came from kind of focusing on the concepts, like those fundamental games playing building blocks before I kind of jumped in the deep end with the tactics. So I try to cover a couple of invasion games, a net and wall game, striking and fielding. Obviously, we look at aesthetics as well, you know, gymnastics, but had a lot of success. It's definitely, it's, it's certainly improved, specifically girls' confidence in team games, which is always something I was quite passionate about. Because I actually found in primary, in P6 and P7 especially, the girls seemed to be, or came across, I think they did genuinely seem to be better games players in terms of, like, decision-making, etc., I don't know whether that was, you know, just a one-off or 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 whatnot, but I feel like as the confidence I, grew, I right. you know, like like you know, I was, you know, the boys obviously, you know, growth-wise, you know, in, in P six and P seven, you know, were definitely you know growing in stature, etc. As were the girls, but I just felt as though some of the decision making and the problem solving on the girls' side just seemed to be like. Quite phenomenal as their confidence grew, and it was it was a really good thing to see. And the TGFU model definitely brought that about. I think they think more about the decisions that they make, whereas I don't know if this is just from my experience, but the boys are they just seem to be more competitive. They always want to go for glory, and the girls yeah. are actually calculated about the decisions and that that they make. Yeah. Ultimately, bring about sometimes a better performance. Um, so, Cameron, irrespective of the, the model you typically use within your teaching um, or your favourite one, what are your absolute musts that you have to include in every teaching lesson and which do you believe are important for your delivery? Yeah, uh, fun. Lessons have to be fun. If they're not fun, then what's the point? Especially at a primary level anyway. Yeah. You know, the kids look forward to PE, which is great because most of my lessons, I would say, are usually quite enjoyable. So without a doubt, I think that's why I use the TGFU model because it's games based, it's fun. You know, the <laughs> kids enjoy playing the games. That's what yeah, they, want to do. they want to do. Like when kids are out in the playground, you know, they, they play games. They, no one tells them to play games. They don't say, you know, right, you lot, you know, can you go and play tech? They just 
do it because that's what kids do at that age. They like having mm -hmm. fun and they play games. So I think that's why I find the TGFU model so successful at that kind of level because it's games-based and, and kids like playing games and it's fun. So definitely lessons have to be fun. You know, I think that's the strongest tool I've got in engaging kids in, in physical education and activity. Uh, learning intentions as well. I think I, I hope that every child that comes into the, you know, my learning environment has a goal for that lesson. It can't just be like a revolving door where the kids come in, they do their 50 minutes or their hour and a half or whatnot, and then they leave and that's it. Like I've, I kind of got to the point in my teaching where I try and have every child to have their own focus for that lesson. Like, you know, I, I have like an overall class learning intention, but I, I, I'm trying to get to the point where I want every child to have their own one, something that they're working on, whether it be communication or decision making or maybe something skill based, something which when they come into the game hall or for outside or, or whatnot, they know what they're working on. And it's, it's like a progression from the last lesson. So I think having learning intentions and trying to get your children, your pupils to generate their own learning intentions is really important. Like involving them in like, like the process, the whole, you know, the learning intention, success criteria, getting them involved gives them power and it's probably going to get them to buy into, you know, PE lessons a lot more. So definitely fun, learning intentions, like having the lessons child-centered, I've always been a big believer in that, you know, me as facilitator and, and you know, the lesson being kind of revolving around the child. So, you know, having them involved in everything, you know, the activities that we pick, the equipment that we use, the games that we play, I think is really important. And then useful assessment as well. Like I don't, assessment's a bit of a funny one. It's, you know, it's obviously going to be a lot more different in primary than it is, you know, with you guys in secondary. But, you know, when I first started, I was doing the old TGFU, like, you know, checklist. You know, I was sitting there in the corner ticking off all these boxes and whatnot. And then it kind of dawned on me. I was just kind of like, what's the point? I'm not even sharing this with the kids. It's not doing anyone any benefit. So I think in a lesson, you have to have useful assessment. Uh, you know, the assessment needs to be shared with the kids. It needs to be a benefit to them. It needs to help them get better. So we do quite a lot of self-assessment where the children are tracking their progression through their own, you know, based on their own learning intentions. And it's a tool for me because I can see how they think they're getting on and we can talk about success criteria, et cetera, but it's a tool for them because they understand where they are with their learning and hopefully they can generate ideas on what to do next. So fun learning intentions, child-centered and useful assessment i would say are, are must-haves and like a good kind of lesson yep love them we we got in um, we were speaking to chris chris crookston the other when was it Clark, tuesday tuesday yeah um and, and he mentioned the, the importance of um, a lot of the ones that you just covered there i think they're absolutely crucial he also mentioned about ha like the, the pupils being active straight from the get-go as soon as they come in yeah. they've got they're on task yeah. straight away um, so there's no time for any off-task behaviours, and they're just in. They're 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 um, their mind is focused on. They're getting in the zone basically for it for the lesson. Yeah, yeah. Is, is what I'm trying yeah, to the, say. The old um, MVPA is is definitely an important one. Yeah, that's a good point by Chris. Yeah, uh, like because Andy talked a bit about that as well. And sometimes it's something I forget that for some of these kids, the only physical activity they might be getting is in RPE lessons. 
mm-hmm. and exactly. And it, and I, I I guess sometimes I I kind of did forget that here and there, and I was a bit like, yeah. So the importance of getting them active during that time slot is dead important because that's obviously the only time that we have with them. That's time that we can guarantee that they are moving and they can get the benefits yep. of. Yeah, you know, you're kind of like your moderate to vigorous physical activity is is a key one as well. Actually, that's a good point. With um, regards to and I with your sorry, you both have worked in the primary school, right? So, Clark, see when you were teaching, how what was your kind of time frames for your lessons? And did, did the pupils already come down ready, or you know, no? What's the... I so I used to run. We used to run the single period, and in that single period it would be 50 minutes or 55 minutes. Um, it was either one or the other. And that didn't include getting changed. So mm-hmm. you would always, like on the, fir- on the first, pe- it was like a six period day. So on the first period, I'd pick the class up. And then when I picked them up, I would need to get them changed. But then the teacher would pick them up at the end. So you always lost about 10 minutes, at least in a lesson, you know, with the kids getting changed and then walking, you know, to the games hall or outside. So you're talking, you know, 40 minutes, et cetera. So you really had to make sure that you were getting the most out of that lesson. Let's say, you know, you've got 40 minutes and then you talk for five minutes or you're discussing things. That goes down to 35. You can see how the time yeah. just disappears. It just and diminishes, doesn't it? And then every time you stop the lesson, then like... And, and, but then when we moved to the double, the double made a massive difference um, just because you weren't losing time in that kind of, I don't know, it just it's, it just seemed, it just ran way more efficiently. The double period, you, were, you ended up getting like an hour and a half or whatnot. And the more, the length, the learning and the depth of learning that you could accomplish in the double period was, was really vast compared to the single. And that's why the sport education model was good because it was all kind of people paced. Mm-hmm. So I knew I was getting the most out of that lesson. There wasn't going to be much time of me talking, etc. It was all going to be them doing the work and learning, which is, you know, was the most important thing. So, yeah. Yeah, my experience was um, similar to Cameron's latter one there, where we had uh, one period was one one and a half hours. So I would go up to the classroom and do a BMT finger tapping task, counting all the way to the game hall, so they'd be active straight away mentally. So when they're walking down to the game hall, uh, the changing room, they get changed. Those are changed quicker, are doing continuing their task of the sequencing, counting up in threes, or whatever whatever it was that we're working on, or spelling out a, a word, working on the literacy. And then they get changed and then just get them into the, the, the game hall. And they were working, as, as uh, Cameron said, you get a lot of depth to the learning because you're, you're teaching for about an hour and 15, an hour and 10 minutes. Um, most most of your classes, but I liked what you said with the with your absolute musts. One of your absolute musts was um, learning intentions. It doesn't need to be always a whole group. It can be individual set learning intentions. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think that's the target going going back for me. Um, yeah, I like that. You've, as well. you've got you've you've got me thinking um, and how how I could do that. Like maybe the first lesson could be like a whole group one. Um, you're yeah. looking at the benchmark. And you're looking to develop communication, but then for the next five weeks. It's an individual learning intention, maybe for a couple of lessons or it changes every lesson. Definitely. But I, the, the teaching games for understanding model allows you to do that because then you're not having yeah. to worry about everyone working on the same thing. Like for me, yeah. my experience in a game is different from yours. So yeah. that could be good. Yeah. Like, the only thing I couldn't work out was how I track it. 
you know, having 30 kids with 30 different learning intentions, that's kind of where I got a little bit stuck and that's what I'm trying to work on. But at the start, it was definitely, you know, it definitely had, there's definitely promise to it. You know, these individuals were coming in to the game, so all having their own learning intention. One might be wanting to improve their defending. Maybe someone wants to work on their footwork or their decision-making. And then what I would do during, like, the the skill kind of acquisition side of the lesson where we worked on skill development, I'd try and set up three or four different drills where one was on defending, one was on attacking, one was maybe on footwork, etc. So they could pick a drill that was going to help them achieve their learning intention. Mm-hmm. And then we would go back to the game. <clears throat> and what I, what I was trying to work around was, right, how do I track that? How do I make sure when they come back into the game so in a couple of weeks, they are still working on their original learning intention. The only way I could kind of get around it was like having kind of group discussions, you know, asking them how they were getting on with their learning intention, making sure they understood what they were trying to do and where they were trying to go and like how they were generating next steps. So I'd kind of like drop in here and there to make sure that they were kind of focused on what they were supposed to be doing. But it, it definitely brings around ownership. The kids buy into the lesson a lot more because it's personal, it's personal to them. It's not just some learning intention. I'm not just being like, right, <clears throat> we all need to learn how to dribble a basketball today. Half the kids can already do it. What's the point in that? Exactly. It's more like, right, you know, you're, already, you're, you're quite a good games player. You can work on something really quite high end. You know, you don't need to be on first level here. Let's maybe think about something that's second or third level. Let's think about non-verbal forms of communication. So, you know, I've got one person working on that and then, on the other side, I've maybe got someone who's maybe not as confident, who's maybe working on like you know the basics of moving into space. And so you've got a games hall of 30 people plus all working on individual skills, and then you, they could come together because you're going to have four or five kids who have got a kind of similar goal. They could come together and work together. My kind of sticking point was, yeah, as I said, how do I track that? You know, just so I keep on top of it. That's kind of what I'm kind of trying to work on just now, actually, as a teacher. I think it's a good way to do it. Like, you've got it's pupil-centred learning at the end of the day. You know, you don't need, you don't, we don't really always need to be in charge of tracking all the time, as long as they're tracking their own, yeah, their own learning. That's even more important. I mean, as, long as, you've got, as long as we've got an overview. Yeah. I tried a wee journal. They had little books, which I tried just before COVID actually struck, uh, with my P7s, and they had wee books, and they just filled it out every lesson and they just wrote down what their goal or learning intention was and what drill they were using and what their next steps were. So that was quite good for the kids to use and keep tabs off. And then I could use that obviously for, you know, to, to double check, you know, that they're, they're on task, etc., and, and look at how they're performing. So that might be a way of getting around it maybe, I guess. I think that could be a really good way for homework as well, having a journal. Like that's what they have to complete for homework. Obviously not everyone completes homework, but then, if they have to have completed it before the next lesson, that gives them a motivation because then you might ask to look at their journal and yeah, see what they're prior learning. So you then yeah. know what they're working on. So it might, that might not, work. And it's not about like how good you are. It's about, you know, what are you working on? You know, what are mm-hmm. you working on that's going to make you a better games player? Not that, you know, we're not fussed if you're the next, you know, LeBron James or whatever. We're just, we, we just want you to be taking ownership of your learning. That's, I think that's the key kind of message. Mm-hmm. Right, Cameron, so you've summarised nicely there then your musts for um, that are important for your delivery. We're going to move on to kind of what you feel the main challenges for PE is going forward with the whole COVID situation. So returning in August, 
what do you feel are the main challenges that we face? Yeah, obviously we've got, you know, there's a, there's obviously a few, you know, kind of mental health, etc. You know, maybe a lot of our, our pupils not being active, you know, trying to re-engage them. There's going to be a lot of anxieties. It has to be. Even myself as a teacher, I'm feeling a little bit anxious going back because it's been so long. And my partner is a, a, a classroom teacher as well, and she's mentioned that a few times. So there's going to be a lot of anxieties on teachers' side and people's side as well. So, you know, whatever we do going forward, we're going to have to take our time and, you know, just try and reconnect with our pupils and give them as much support as possible. Yeah. Um, but, like, actually, this, is the, this question is actually something which I've kind of been thinking about for a, for a wee while just now. Um, like, and this is maybe, the answer I'm probably gonna give is maybe kind of, maybe not so much, maybe it's a little bit COVID related, but it's maybe just like a kind of like general. I think like COVID related, definitely need to give the children space and to let them know that, you know, they've got teachers that'll listen to them and, and hear them out and we, probably a lot of what we need to do moving forward needs to be really socially based. You know, just get kids talking to each other, et cetera, you know, share experiences. And like really that mental well-being side is gonna be really, really important. Even as teachers, we need to speak to each other and make sure everyone's okay. And kind of, you know, just work as a department and a unit and then obviously support the kids the best we can. And hopefully not after, excuse me, too long, we'll kind of be back to where we were before, but. That's a bit of an open-ended statement there. But you're trying to, in secondary, you'd be trying to balance the attainment side of things with the well-being side of things, you know? Because yeah. if I had my national class, ideally I don't want to go back into teaching how to dribble a basketball or course, yeah, yeah. gradual build-up. I don't want to be doing that, but if I've got the pressure coming from the SQA to the assessment rate arrangements aren't changing, then I need to make sure that I'm hitting the ground running because... In order for, for them to get the best result possible, but then it's trying to balance it up. Um, you know, maybe with my BGE classes, I'd probably go over more sharing experiences, sharing struggles, just getting them back to connecting with each other again, and to yeah. get them back to connecting with ourselves. Because it's almost been half a year since we've, since we've been out of, out of school. Once we go back, I think someone said it was like three summer holidays or something like that. It's crazy. Yeah. And I can get them, they've also some, some have been getting on better without teachers, some have been getting on probably worse at home without teachers so maybe some people are, are getting by without us so we need to then go and show how important it is for us for a profession to get everyone back on board again definitely i think yeah you guys especially with your nat classes and higher and, and whatnot a lot more of a difficult job <clears throat> than i do in primary because i guess in primary you know i've got a bit of scope to look into health and well-being as well within my pe lessons you know because things are probably a little bit more open-ended Whereas, as you said, you've got the, the assessment side and the examination side of things pressing a bit. That's going to be a, a tough one to balance. Uh, <clears throat> I don't even know That's if a I challenge. Could... Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think but I'd say, like, when you go, sorry. I would say, like, see, like, I don't know what you guys think about the main challenge of, like, PE in general. Like, that was a question that I was definitely thinking about before COVID even struck. <clears throat> like, I don't know, personally, as I said, I've been thinking about this for a wee while, and I tried to kind of get it down on paper yesterday, my thoughts, and I think I've maybe got it roughly, but I feel as though, like, it's trying to get pupils to buy into PE, like, to understand its core beliefs. Like, that's, like, our biggest challenge. Like, genuinely trying to change a generation. 
and like I was thinking about this like how do we get how do we get kids to buy into what we believe you know like how do we get kids to see what we see and to like join us and and to push you know that forward and I think the big thing is like maybe as departments and teachers I don't know is maybe changing the way that we think from what and how to why you know if we want people to buy into what we see they need to understand like our why you know mm-hmm. you know like what's our cause you know what's our beliefs you know what is you know what is it we want to do i think like there's things can definitely split up into this what how and, and why and i think when i first started teaching i definitely fell into the what and the how you know the what being you know what we do so you know i deliver pe to my pupils in a range of different activities in the hope of them pursuing lifelong physical activity the how is i use fun and modified games i use different pedagogies different equipment etc and i i kind of really stuck with that for a couple of years but <clears throat> i didn't think the kids were really buying into what i was trying to sell almost and then i kind of thought about the why you know what's my purpose you know what's 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 our cause you know what's my beliefs you know why, why do i get out of bed in the morning you know why do i go and teach what am i actually trying to teach these kids and then i was like i, I watched a video on youtube and i've forgotten the gentleman that does it and he explains this all in a bit more detail so i started with the question why you know i started with the why and then i went to the how and the what and i kind of i came to the conclusion that my why was going to be everyone being the best version of themselves they can be like that was my dream that's what i wanted all my kids to achieve when they were with me and in school them getting the best out of their minds and their bodies and being the best individuals they can be so that was my why that's why i get out of bed in the morning i go to school i want these kids to be the best versions of themselves they can be Mm -hmm. so because i had that why my how was then right we can be the best versions of ourselves we can be if we build consistent healthy habits such as enjoying exercise sleeping well hydration meditation etc the what you know how would i do that i delivered differentiated p lessons in a range of different activities during my lessons we'd explore tools on how to build healthy habits you know we'd look at goal setting we'd look at how to actually learn a skill properly so the what became like proof of what I believed in. So genuinely, I think because I had that why and I had that why everywhere, you know, I was like, you know, I was always kind of reiterating to my pupils that I wanted them to be the best versions of themselves they can be. I think the kids bought into what I was doing a lot more because even maybe the pupils who weren't necessarily, you know, motivated by, team games or whatnot they were they were looking at me and they were like right this guy actually just wants me to be a, a good version of me so whatever he's talking about is, is going to benefit me a little bit it's not just about the exercises about a lot of other facets and health and well-being as well so i think like i, I don't i don't know i might just be going off on a bit of a tangent here it does happen it's so important what you've said there it's like the, it's but like you know the, what i mean the, the quote like, yeah, if you know where why then the how takes care of itself Love that. Do you, do you know what I mean? It's like I was going down that route of like just teaching isolated drills at the start, and I'm like, no child is going to come back to me in nine years and be like, hey, Mr. Stewart, thanks for teaching me the volley. I don't play volleyball at all anymore, but 
do you know what, thanks for that three-hour lesson on, on how to volley. <clears throat> and I'm just like, is the time that I'm, you know, is the time that I'm spending with these kids being effectively spent, you know, in the best way possible? And that's why I started looking at that why. You know, what am I actually wanting to achieve with these kids? And then <clears throat> with it being that kind of statement of trying to get the best out of what they want to, you know, the best out, the best version of themselves they can be, it was like a higher, I don't know, a higher task. And everything else just fell in place. Everything that we worked on in the games hall was aimed towards that. The kids were motivated because they were like, right, whatever I do in this lesson, I'm going to be working towards being the best version of I can be. It doesn't matter if I'm a high performer or, um, you know, uh, you know, uh, I'm playing a sport that maybe particularly I'm not too motivated about. We're, we're practicing good habits here and this is going to benefit me in the long run. So I think, I like, think for me, it's... Oh, sorry. sorry. No, you go. You go. Um, I think for me, it's... Um, the, the why for me, going back to school, would be, you know, getting them up, getting up in the morning. I, I get up in the morning to show them how, like, leading an active... Sorry, leading a active, healthy lifestyle and the yeah. benefits that that can bring. Because that, like, I'm, I'm thinking about it and thinking, how do I love my days? You know what I mean? Like, I go a walk, you know, I meditate, I run, I hydrate well, I have a day or sleep. So for me, the absolute must and absolute challenge for us going forward is to achieve that and to show them how these things yeah. can make an active, active healthy mm-hmm. lifestyle. I don't know why I can't say that word today. And then modeling, modeling ourselves and using our own life stories to then motivate them. But then as an add-on from that, the core business of any school is people learning. So yeah. if we can obviously raise attainment, that's an add-on that's an add-on for me. Yeah. Um, because you can't be you can't be striving for you can't be striving for both, but then ultimately one has to take precedence over the other and for me it needs to be the well being, going back to school and then after that the attainment. Definitely. How, how how can you attain in maths and English if you can't if you've not had like sufficient amount of sleep? You're never going to be able exactly. to concentrate. If you've had if you've missed your breakfast or if your eating habits are poor, then you just don't have you're fatigued. Your body's not in the right mindset or yeah. to to focus and get the best learning. Yeah. So totally agree. It's a no brainer. Like, like without as you said, you know. What are the things as an adult just now that I'm hanging on to to get myself through this kind of difficult period? Sleeping, eating, drinking, a bit of quiet space, you know, a bit of meditating. I'm not particularly good at it, but I'm trying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are the things that if you prime yourself, you're then like academic achievement is going to be a lot easier to attain. If you put your body and your mind in a position to be successful, <clears throat> that's why PE is, to me, is so unique because we are naturally linked to all these different and extremely important healthy habits for life you know it's just you look at successful businessmen and women and successful sportsmen and women they all do the same things really well and as you say if we can pass that on to the kids academic achievement is is going to come and and it's and it's going to become kind of hand in hand almost i would say Absolutely. So, just on to the last question here. Um, in your opinion, Cameron <clears throat> spoke a lot about what makes high quality teaching and learning yeah. um, in your own practice. So, could you summarise for everyone what makes a high quality PE teacher? 
yeah, I just I think someone who cares about their pupils, I think that's really important. I think if the kids know that you care, it break, it makes teaching PE or any subject so much easier. It takes down so many barriers. You know, uh, Neil McQuarrie, he told me something <clears throat> when I first started. He said, you know, he, he would see him, I think he said he saw me as a teacher first and then a PE teacher second. And that kind of that kind of struck with me. That's something I've kind of always thought about, you know, in my teaching career that, you know, I see myself as <clears throat> a teacher in terms of being nurturing and caring. And then secondly, I see myself as being tied to my subject and obviously trying to get my kids enthusiastic about that. So I think being caring and passionate towards your pupils and taking an interest in them, you know, is even little things like a high five at the door or, you know, uh, asking, you know, what their interests are just makes a huge difference. You know, I really enjoy it <clears throat> when kids maybe come to me and ask me for a bit of advice. You know, it doesn't happen very often, to be fair, and I don't blame them. But, you know, if they ever come and ask for advice here and there or it's nice like having an open door policy and, and the kids coming to you because they believe in you and respect you. I think that then helps with how they work and behave in your in your classroom. So I think that, you know, with any child, that will mean a lot. And then just passionate and enthusiastic. <clears throat> you know, you said yourself, you know, both of you are, are great role models for your kids and they'll look up to that because you're passionate about your subject and obviously passionate about living a healthy lifestyle. And it might, it won't happen overnight, but the kids that you teach as they grow older will, you know, link with that and they'll, and they'll see that and they, it'll rub off on them and it'll help guide them as they move forward. We might not even see it when they leave secondary school. It might be when they're 20, 25 or whatnot, but I guarantee they will remember, you know, the guidance that you've given them. So I think if you're enthusiastic and passionate about the subject of PE, again, that can really change lives. That can really motivate your pupils to kind of be the best that they can be, which is, which is great. Yeah, I think you're spot on there with the, the little things make the biggest difference, don't they? Just showing that you care, taking an interest in them, asking them about their football game at the weekend or their dance competition. That's Just it. showing a real interest and in, in caring goes a long, long way. It's a massive yeah. part of it. Definitely. Ten minutes left, by the way. Just give me a heads up. <laughs> I'll hurry up. <laughs> no, it's... Right, so, so it's a quick, quick fire round of three now. Uh, we'll, ask, we'll ask these three questions to all the guests. Well, not yep. these three, but we'll always ask three. Um, so, if you could have a giant billboard in your hometown or anywhere else in the world, what would it say, Cameron? It would say, choices become actions, actions become habits, and habits become our character. There's a, I love that. There's a deep answer process. for you. <laughs> I love that. Lewis was actually talking about that before we came on the podcast and the introduction about how your thoughts affect your behaviours, weren't you? Yeah. Thoughts affect how you feel about something and your feelings determine your actions that you take. I just read it this morning somewhere and I thought it was good. Yeah. It's all linked in. We're all attracting the same thing here. Absolutely. Beautiful. <laughs> what books have had the greatest influence on your life or books? Maybe pick one or two or three, Max. Yeah, yeah I've got uh, Finding Peace in a Frantic World. That was on mindfulness. I think that made a, that made, made a big impact on me with my teaching. It, it helped me learn to relax, etc., and de-stress. 
Um, Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker is a great read on like the power of sleep, man. Like through uni, I was just terrible with sleep. And since I've become, you know, into teaching, I really focus on it and it's made a massive difference to like my well-being and, and my mindset, etc. So that's a really good book. And then the Tiger Woods autobiography, just yeah, from the <laughs> because like Tiger Woods had always been an idol of mine and I always thought, you know, he was a perfect individual and obviously, you know, things happened and whatnot. And since reading his book, it's just a bit of an eye opener that everyone has got a story, Do you know, everyone is going through or has gone through same troubles, you know, as, as humans, mm-hmm. there's nobody that's perfect. No one is perfect. And there was a guy that I thought was perfect and no one could touch him. And he's going through all sorts, you know, a lot caused by himself, obviously, in different circumstances and whatnot. But we all go through troubled times. So it's quite a good read just to, from that standpoint that, you know, we're all, we're, we're all the same. We're all going through the same things. It can all be shared and we can all help each other. Yeah, we're all fighting our own battle that no one knows about. We're all struggling at the same time. So, no, that's a great, that's a great point. What advice would you give to a student teacher about it about to enter the working world or what advice should they ignore uh advice i would say look after yourself i think if you look after yourself you'll be a better teacher for it like don't burn yourself out try new things don't just stick to the book you know try new things and adapt them find what works and what doesn't you know and then if you find something that works kind of stick with it and then just understand that you're going to have some really rubbish lessons. You know, you, you, like you always have a great lesson and you think, oh, I've nailed this teaching. And then the next lesson after is a complete dud. That's just, the way of, that's just the way it goes. Don't be too hard on yourself. As long as you learn from maybe the lessons that you're not, you know, that you didn't think went that well, you'll become a better teacher for it. So yeah, genuinely. Te- teacher well-being is just as important as a pupil well-being, isn't it? Without a doubt, like, you know, especially if you're going to, you know, obviously in your probation year or, you know, if you're still a student, <clears throat> the workload and the paperwork have to give yourself a break at some point. I know it's difficult, but even five minutes of sitting in a quiet space and just find, find something that helps you de-stress and stick to it. Because, you know, if you start not getting enough sleep and, you know, you don't look after yourself, the workload just becomes that much more, more difficult. If you know what I mean, it's, you really do need to keep a wee eye on yourself and, and speak to others as well. You know, find a kind of strong kind of group where you can kind of bounce yeah. bodies off, etc. So, yeah. No, that was really nicely put there. It's important that we share each other's worries and concerns in order to help each other move forward as a profession. Thanks again for agreeing to do this today, Cameron. That was absolutely no, brilliant. I thought it was really, really good, insightful. Thanks for doing that today. And um, I'm hoping that this will help the the next generation of teachers and current teachers across the country. Yeah, definitely. Hey, thanks for having us, guys. It's uh, much appreciated. Nice to meet you, mate. We appreciate yeah, your time. Cheers, boys. Right, we'll keep in touch, right? Cheers. As with each week on the podcast, we always summarise what the pod, what the podcastee has had to say. I don't know if I just made that one up. Podcast, but... you like it. <laughs> we'll take it. The Thursday morning, it's a... 30 past 11. Um, so moving on to the, the takeaway message. Podcast. Lewis, what, what have you been able to take away from the podcast to you, Cameron Stewart, today? My key takeaway message from today's episode was in relation to, particularly if you're working in a primary setting because you don't have that department to lean on half the time, you're just your own boss, you're going about doing your own things. 
um, you don't really have that PE um, conversation with people as you would in the high school. So if you are thinking of going into the primary school to teach PE, and this is something I would do if I ever see myself in the primary school in the future, is the importance of collaboration. So getting involved in different working groups. Cameron says he's involved in the SAP one, he's involved in the um, the Microsoft Teams pages, etc. Um, and he says it's just so important to keep his practice fresh, to bounce ideas off off of each other if he's not too sure. And again, it just kind of keeps him in with the um, almost like a kind of department ethos as opposed to just being on his own where he could probably feel slightly isolated working yourself in a primary school. But yeah, so if you're thinking about going to teach PE in a primary school, that would be my key takeaway message from this episode, particularly because it was Cameron's experience as um, relating mainly to the primary school setting. So I thought that was pretty good. What about yourself? You got, what's your, what's your key takeaway message? From episode very... Can you believe it? 19. Episode. Is it 19? I thought we'd have chucked the towel left of three. I've done well. I've done two a week in summer holidays and one a week in lockdown. So no, hats off to us when it's due. Right, so my key takeaway message is very similar to yours, Lewis. And the fact that it was actually came from the quick fire round. I don't know if you remember me asking him what books have had the greatest influence on his life. He spoke about the Tiger Woods autobiography and how uh, what helped Tiger Woods was being more open with his communication and sharing his struggles that he was having throughout his life, which then brought him back into the golf scene, which meant he could then achieve optimal performance again. So I won the Masters again, historical. I mean, to come back from that was something of the highest order. So well, it might as well be similar to yours. When we go back to school, for all the teachers that are listening, we need to make sure that we cooperate with one another, not just within our school, but across across authorities and across uh, settings, and the primary setting, just to really share ideas and share problems. And I'm sure we'll, the same problem you've got will be the same problem you know, 100 other teachers will have across the country. So it's really important that we're open and we're, we're, we're willing to help each other moving forward because we're going to need it because it's, it's been early to break off school and I know how hard that might be for, for the people's returning but also the teachers as well, so I'm conscious of that. Thanks again, Clark, for your final words of wisdom here to wrap up this episode nicely. As always, if you see it on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter, we would appreciate it if you could give us a share or a retweet as this helps us get the podcast out there so others can listen to it as well and get this great information um, that we have just received during the interview. Until the next time, we hope you have a fantastic week. See you later.